Well, hey, EOC, we're back for another week. It's me and... Me, Brody, and, and Harold. Harold. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah cool. Miss Alan and Harold. Um, today we're talking about Hebrews 7 and also how to create tension in Bible studies. So or we thought... are we? <laughs> oh, spare me. Now I can't sleep. Um, so I thought what we'd do is we'd just start with uh, a bit of a teaser to create some tension. Nice. I want to ask you the question, how is Hebrews 7 like Batman? Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully Brody will be able to explain with some level of well, satisfaction why that is the case later on. Yeah, yeah. Good. So well, hopefully you're feeling really yeah. tense right yeah. now. Like um, shout out to uh, E-Man who refused to be here with us today. Hello. What's the go with that? You know, yeah. He's here. Because he, he, he was visiting college for the open week. Yeah. Um, I, I even had lunch with him as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And um, actually, verbatim, I asked him how it was because I was a bit nervous that, you know, he'd kind of scared, scared him off. That is to say, <laughs> Brody scared E-Man off. And E-Man replied, and I quote, Brody is very knowledgeable. To which I went, are we talking about the same Brody? <laughs> oh, really? So really. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is that my knowledge isn't always all that helpful. Maybe. Or, or interesting, was that yeah, the thing you said to me yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, excellent. <laughs> but yeah, so Eman, you could have been here, it could have been great. I mean, oh. you were you were virtually, what, 20 metres away from where we record this thing. I would have thought he'd miss Harold, you know, and just want to be able to say hello again. Yeah, but there you go. Looks like we're just going to have to suffer along with the three of us without the help <laughs> from outside sources. Yeah, uh, well, you've all missed out, really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not that Harold contributes much. Um, <laughs> so... Basically what we're doing today is the same two things. Uh, we're leading the group uh, and then we're teaching the text. Uh, and as we've said, we'll be doing some stuff about tension before we hit up Hebrews 7. Shall uh, I pray? I think that'll be fantastic. Let's yeah. do that. Heavenly Father, today as we think through your word and as we think through our groups, please help us to be seeking to be faithful to what you have said and seeking to be able to help those that we lead to greater know and love you and your son Jesus. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, section one of two, leading the group. Um, just a quick recap from some of the things I saw this week. Uh, won't spend too much time here today. Just really encouraged. Um, Brody and I were reflecting on the pros and the cons of, of kind of doing a drip feed um, training thing in cyberspace with you guys. And one of the things that I have told you before, but I do want to keep stressing to you, is that this podcast is an insufficient solution to a problem that we have. Uh, the problem being that we need to train the leaders, but we can't get you all together in the same place at the same time. Uh, and there's only one of me. And so we just don't have the resources to do it. And so the solution was to record something and get you to listen to it in your own time. Now, the reason that's insufficient uh, is because it cuts across our theology. Our theology is that we are relational, we're in community, we disciple one another. And whilst a podcast isn't this, therefore necessarily evil, or even unhelpful, if it's the only or the main means by which we disciple one another, we're actually not behaving in the communal way that God has set up his church. Sounds a little bit similar to your talks on Romans 5 this last week. Corporate, you know, we're together as a body. That's a yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. very different. It's maybe, maybe it's a corporate. Stretch. Yeah, it was a stretch, but look, they have come, come from the same root words. So good try, bro. <laughs> um, Harold. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah. um, and so what I would say is that, you know, hypothetically, if I was staying at ACU and then eventually we got a couple of trainees, uh, which maybe some of you should be thinking about doing in the future, um, or we've got another staff worker and we got enough resources to do it, this podcast would be stopped mm -hmm. or at least put in its place. 
And I just want, I want us to be aware of that. It's kind of like the Levitical priesthood. You know what? That's actually not bad. We didn't we didn't plan this at all. But oh, Harold no. is not honky. Do you want to elaborate for those well, who aren't? You know, it's, it, it, it is good. And there is good that comes out of it. But actually, it's an insufficient solution to a problem. And there there is a more ideal solution that would come. Well, we don't know whether it will come. Well, we do. Because we do. we've been reading Hebrews 1 to 6. We yeah. don't have to get to 7 to know that. So that's really good. So this podcast is like Levitical priesthood. And... <laughs> what does that mean? The, the staff worker that you get after me is like Jesus. <laughs> That's why... Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Look, it's, I feel like it's less of a stretch than the corporate thing, Romans. Anyway. Yeah, well, it, it's, it, look, it's not a stretch at all. I think it makes perfect sense. But that's beside the point. Um, and so that's just as an aside. Um, but the, going back to the actual thing we were talking about, the advantage of doing it this way is that you're just getting one thing to think about for the week to come. And one of the things that I've seen quite successively and successfully over the last couple of weeks is you guys putting into practice that one thing we see each week. Uh, and so all I want to say is I'm, um, I've been really impressed and really encouraged by your growth. Like some of you are kicking yourself when you realize you didn't do something or whatever it is, but like I'm, I'm seeing you try to generate discussion. I'm seeing you handle contributions. Um, I'm seeing you trying to land plan in a lot of cases landing it. Um, one of the things, and this is the thing I will draw attention to from this week that I saw that I was really pleased and thankful to God about, is that you didn't feel like you needed to stick to the questions. When you realized you were running out of time because a discussion blew out or, or you just lost track of time, you cut things. Uh, and I was really happy with that. And where you needed to fill in the blanks, you filled in the blanks. Uh, but you went to the application. That wasn't the thing that you cut. You cut an interpretation question and then you join the links and then move forward. And in most cases, we finished well. That's great. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm just super stoked. And one of the things also while we're here, um, Brody said this yes uh, last week after we finished recording last week's podcast. Um, his observation, and, and he drew it to my attention, I agree, is that the, the standard of the studies that you guys are writing as you send them into us is just far and away better than what they were last semester. Um, and so just be encouraged by that. You, you really are growing and learning well how to handle God's word. So mm. very thankful to God for that as well. Mm. Um, so that's the review. Let's shift gears and talk a bit more um, uh, instructionally for this week to come. We're talking about creating tension. Mm. Or are we? <laughs> I'm going to get so sick of that joke. Yeah, well, I've gotten sick of that joke. You've asked that question to me like six times. This is the first time they've heard the joke. I'm only doing it through gritted teeth. So we're talking about creating tension. We've done a lot of things so far. We've kind of talked about starting well. We've talked about having a focus and landing the plane, how to generate discussion, how to handle contributions, how to apply effectively. Today, we want to talk about how to create tension. Uh, now, tension, what is it, Brody? Well, it's not tenseness. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not coming to fisticuffs with other members of the group, you know? You have an argument and everyone doesn't come back again because you can't agree. It's not that kind of tension. Uh, instead, it's, it's kind of dissonance. It's uh, fe feeling the need to work out how things fit together because at the moment they don't seem to. Yeah, and so like for somebody who's OCD, for me, it's like when I come home and open the pantry and things aren't where they're supposed to be. 
I, I already have resolution at that moment because I know why they're not where they're supposed to be because Beth just puts them back wherever she finds a space. I think she does it on purpose. <laughs> oh, look, I would not be surprised. She knows my buttons. Yeah. But there, there are certain yeah, uh, things and times in life where something just doesn't seem right. You've got to straighten a book or you've got to rearrange or align a table. Or in the case of a Bible study, you've got to figure out how two facts or pieces of theology fit together. If you're a little less OCD than Matt, then maybe the analogy is, it's kind of like music. You have some kind of tension or suspense that the music creates, which pushes you towards the resolution. You, you kind of want to reach that end to have everything resolved. Mm, mm. And, and it's interesting, actually, because what that does, creating tension, um, in creating that suspense, it, it creates engagement. Mm. And this is the reason why we want to encourage you to think about how to generate tension in your groups. Mm. Because by creating that dissonance, you're unsettling people, uh, but and in a way that they then want to realign the book or see the music settle or finally have the muesli in the space that it's supposed to be in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you have tools, in your garage, you have like the outlines. Is that, that your pantry? Yeah, that's that. Well, no, I, I wouldn't say no to that. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the baking stuff just keeps getting out of hand. Um, but it, it's really about generating engagement um, and, and specifically with the aim to get people to be personally engaging with what's going on. Mm. So what we're not creating is intellectual tension for the sake of mm, that's right. having it. And you should give up on seeking tension if you've already got lots of engagement, really. Yeah, you know, if, if people are engaged anyway, you know, go for it and just do the normal study. Or yeah, so creating tension is sort of like a sometimes food in Bible studies. Yeah, um, you, you like that? Yeah. Um, oh, Sesame Street changed that yeah. Cookie <laughs> yes. Monster, remember? which I still don't believe. Cookies are, an, are always. If his name is Cookie Monster, yeah. I know it's never made any sense. But um, to give you a real example of this, um, uh, some of you guys did that this week in your study. Um, you got to the final interpretation question, which was how do we reconcile the warning with the assurance that God offers us? Um, but I think in two cases of the four groups that I was in, you realized that you didn't have time to discuss it. Um, and so you passed over it. And, and I actually don't think that was a failure to generate tension. That was actually using your wisdom to realize at this stage in the study, I do not need to get bogged down in creating a tension. I don't have time to resolve. Mm. Um, so I think, uh, yep, tension, sometimes food, sometimes it's best not to do it. Uh, of course, other times it is helpful to do it. And it's helpful to be aware that sometimes this is going to be tension anyway. And so what do you do with that tension? How do you recognize? Because there's different types. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a sec. Well, why don't we, we can just segue to All it right, now. segue to it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we, we talked about a few different types. So we, we recognize a few different types. There's tensions that are in the text. So last week's a good example. It seemed to suggest two different ideas, which at the surface don't seem to go together. Mm, mm. Um, and and this, this doesn't happen every week or in every passage you read. It's probably more rare than common, um, depending on how well-schooled you are in the scriptures. Uh, another big one that will always pop up is uh, God's predestination versus human responsibility to repent. Like, what's going on with that? That's a genuine tension we see in scripture. Mm. Um, same with the warning and the assurance. You, you can fall away, but you can't fall away. How, how does that work? Mm. Mm. Um, so that's an example of one in the text. There's also a tension. Every time you come to the text, the text is pointing out how your life is insufficient, how you're actually falling short of God's standards. 
And so sometimes that can be felt as a really strong dissonance between the way that I'm living and the way that God wants me to live. Uh, you feel that, of course, most of all when you're not a Christian and you, you read the Bible and you realize, hang on, I'm not living God's way. Like that's, that's a big time, but there's lots of other times as well where the Bible and the scriptures calls into account uh, what you're doing and says, actually, hang on, that's sin or that's wrong, you need to change. Yeah, and, and in, in that sort of sense, that's also almost like a moral tension. Mm. Um, so an example of that was from like last week, uh, last semester's Bible study where we talked about the rich young ruler. And I got some groups very riled up about whether it was sinful to own a house and stay in Sydney um, or whether to actually be godly, you needed to sell everything. Um, and so what I was trying to do there is actually wrestle with the tension that you would feel about having your sense of what is an appropriate wealth to have challenged. Mm. Um, but there's not just moral tensions. There's also, um, I don't want to say intellectual tensions, but I want to say like belief tensions. Mm. So people will come to the passage with a, 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 their theology a certain way, but the passage will challenge it um, or nuance it. Um, so a good example of this, um, maybe it's a dangerous pastoral example to use, but um, we all know the prosperity gospel is a horrible, horrible heresy. You know, if, if you give money, then you'll become rich. And so life is about your own self-fulfillment and wealth. But if you look closely at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there are elements of prosperity gospel in there. The, the key to understand, however, is that it says that God will bless us if we are generous to enable us to be more generous. And so it's not about us being rich or fulfilled. It's about God recognizing the generous, selfless heart and then giving to that person because they will steward the resource as well. Mm. And so people who come to that particular chapter and go, well, hang on a minute, um, um, any notion that God would bless me is completely wrong. Well, actually, the Bible introduces a tension there. Mm. And there's also a tension often when our cultural values rub up against what the Bible says is, is good as well. I think it's happening more and more, right? Mm -hmm. We're, moving further away from kind of a Christianized world. And actually that means that our culture and society is going to say some things are good that the Bible doesn't agree. Yeah. And you might actually see this in a bunch of places. One of them um, uh, close to the home in your family may be the attitude towards going into full-time ministry. Um, I, my understanding is for you, Brody, as, as with me, it wasn't hard. Like we didn't have objection. We might've had uncertainty from our parents. But both of us know people who culturally come from backgrounds that uh, they've turned their back on med degrees um, or, or law degrees or even just a standard degree and, and the prospect of a, a fruitful and prosperous financial life to serve the Lord because they're gifted for it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a different value, isn't it? Yeah. You're, perhaps you're turning your back on your family or that's, that's how it comes across. Yeah. And that's because the Bible is saying, hang on, no, there's something even more important than getting back to the rich young ruler yeah well. yeah um, and so there are lots of tensions that happen between the text and you mm. so we've got tensions in the text that's sort of like uh last week hebrews 6 you've got tensions between the text and you now you've also got uh, tensions between members of your group mm. uh, now i think this is going to happen when you've got a diverse group uh, which is likely to be the case on campus. Yeah, and, and we do have them. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> People come with different backgrounds. And so as you rock up and you talk about a passage, uh, you're going to have different views on, on even what the Bible is, how you should read it, on things that it teaches. Uh, there's going to be tension there. Yeah. Mm. And, and in this particular case, 
it's a tension that you need to use wisdom to know whether or not you want to capitalize on it mm. because sometimes that tension is actually tenseness mm. um, and you don't want to exacerbate that mm. um, however you may choose to and we'll talk about that in a moment yeah sometimes your wisdom will say this is unhelpful abort yeah, abort diffuse <laughs> rather than build up the tension yeah yeah um, and like we talked a couple of weeks ago in terms of handling contributions you just want to let it slide mm. let it go through the keeper don't acknowledge it mm. uh, just let it but it, it can also be really good. It, it can be good when people read the passage and they go, I think this means this. But then someone else says, oh, hang on, I always thought it meant this. And yeah. then you, you can talk about that. That's engagement right yeah. there. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's actually the first of, of three suggestions we want to give you for how to um, create tension in your groups, helpful tension. Uh, and that is to highlight existing tension between contributors mm. and contributions. Mm. Um, now, you've got to be thoughtful about how you do that. Um, but often it's fun to kind of say, well, hang on a minute, um, Brucey just said this. Brucey? Well, there's no Brucey at, at, on campus. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Interesting that that's the name you came up with. Was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Brodina, which is the female <laughs> version of Brody. Actually, Brody is the female version of Brody. Actually, is there other girls called Brody? Girl's name. You've got a girl's name. Thanks, man. I never knew. Oh, man, the jokes I could have told. What have I done? Anyway, so Brucey has said this, but, but Brody, she said this. Um... Those two don't match. Who, who, who's right? Or well, I don't know how you do it. You could do it a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but actually drawing attention to that can actually get people interested, particularly if you challenge them to a physical battle to see who wins. But yeah, maybe don't not, do that. Pro- okay, not advisable. Yeah. Um, so that's the first one. Highlight existing tension between contributors. And of course, that's dealing with tension between you and me, like uh, tension amongst group members. Um, the second way you can uh, create tension is by... Contradiction. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's not just tension, but frustration that (laughs) generates. Um, Through contradiction, otherwise known as the devil's advocate. Um, So somebody will say something which may be right, Mm. but you as the leader, because you've done your prep, know how you can take something from the passage, maybe even misrepresent something from the passage, and say, but hang on a minute, doesn't this verse say this? Mm. Um... Another way you might do it to build tension again, I'm just thinking even from today's passage in in Hebrews 7, where it's talking about how Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Um, I'm I'm looking at this and just going, nowhere does it say explicitly that Jesus is the guarantor of of the best covenant. And so if somebody kind of just says straight off the bat, you know, why is the why is Jesus to be preferred over the Levitical priesthood? And they can say, well, he's the best priest. And you can actually come back and say, well, I don't see that. So this is better than the Levitical priesthood, but what about other priests? <laughs> and so you can actually really G people up um, whilst also getting them to look closely at the text. Now, I actually do think Hebrews 7 talks about the fact that he is the best guarantor of the covenant because he talks about him being perfect. Yeah. And, um, and you do get into trouble if you leave it there. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so one of the things that we do want to say um, as, a, as a, a kind of an official warning is that if you create tension you must resolve it, Mm. Um, especially if you're starting to play devil's advocate and toying around with theology and truth. Sometimes, um, we've actually referenced the the Growth Groups book a few times Mm. in this podcast. Uh, They they talk in that book a little bit about different roles that people in the group might take on, and one of them is the devil's advocate. So you might actually have someone in your group who seems to be doing that kind of questioning and, you know, they, they play almost that role already, they're not an enemy. They're actually 
in a, in a way helping you, even as they suggest things that are contrary to the direction you want to go. Mm. If uh, they're promoting discussion, you're getting past just the, well, I know this because Sunday school taught me it. Mm. It's actually, hang on, why? Why do I think this is what it is? Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why tension is so good mm. because it actually sharpens you. Of course, what it means for you as the leader is that you need to be able to sit in that tension mm. and be willing to let things sit. And so actually let a bad contribution be mentioned and then built on uh, before you take it down, <laughs> um, which really leads to our third and final suggestion for tension. So we've got highlighting existing tension. We've got playing devil's advocate through contradiction. And then finally, we've got intentionally leaving things unresolved. Um, this usually works best when the, the burning question, the one that you want to drive the study is asked early, mm. um, but you don't feel the need to provide an answer for it um, at all mm. until the end of the study. Yeah, do you guys still wonder whether Batman is like Jesus? They've probably forgotten, but yeah. now that we've re-raised it, it's interesting how the tension is now back. Yeah, it's, in know, fact it's, it's building. It's building. Yeah. Hang on, there is an answer this time. Or is it? <laughs> uh, but the idea is that you actually let it sit and you're comfortable with the fact that these people have this question that you're not going to answer until you're well and ready to. Mm. You're the leader, you take control of this. Now, you can do this a whole bunch of different ways, um, but typically you'll do it structurally. And so this week you're going to see an example of that in our study. Um, not brilliantly, I think, but with what we can do. Because um, the big thing in Hebrews 7, which is really confusing, is this mention of this dude called Melchizedek. And we have no idea what's going on. And we've just had a chapter and a half of all these warnings about falling away and being assured and the promise of the hope. And then you hit chapter seven. And then with, without really any context, you've got 10 verses about this history lesson. Mm. And you're just like, why is this here? Yeah. And um, has, has anyone in your group ever heard of Mephizedek before? Yeah. And I know that a whole bunch of people hadn't because mm. when he's been mentioned twice before in chapter five, verse 10, and then in chapter six, verse 20, um, they're like, who is this guy? Uh, we finally get to find out who he is, but there's still this burning question of why is he important? Mm. Um, and so rather than asking who is Melchizedek, why is he important? Mm. <laughs> um, what we want to do is try and structure the study in a way that actually leaves that a bit more ambiguous so that when we finally do put the dots together, namely that he is the paradigm for Jesus' priesthood and he is the reason why Jesus' priesthood is better, um, that we're actually like, oh, that's 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 where it is. That's mm. the tension relieved. Yeah, and the hope is that that'll drive people to be more engaged and really think for themselves about what's going on and, and remember it, learn it better themselves. Mm. Um, and so we'll see how that one goes. Um, it's going to be an experiment for all of us, um, particularly because the question will be asked up front early. My suggestion to you guys as leaders is to not answer that question. And one of the things that we've intentionally done um, is that the guys who wrote the, wrote the study this week, which was Sam and Aquia, um, with a little help from Ando, um, is they have put as question one in their study to review. So actually go back to chapter five, before the author of the Hebrews went on his um, excursus to warn them, when he was actually talking about Jesus' priesthood, so it can reorient us to the fact that we're still talking about priests. Uh, we're intentionally cutting that question out. Well, just moving a bit later. Yeah, 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 yeah. thank you. Um, and, and the reason we're doing that is because we actually are intentionally withholding information to try and generate interest and confusion. We also, we're also thinking that we, we limit how much you read of the passage at the start. So rather than reading all of chapter 7, 
just read verses 1 through to 10, which is, again, it's, 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 a, it's a practical means of restricting information. Yeah, it helps you to feel the tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, and so with that in mind, I think we can segue straight into teaching the text. Um, so now is the time to uh, pause the podcast, read the passage, which is all of Hebrews 7, uh, and then do the overview box. So the what, the why, the main point, and the big question. We'll leave you to do that now. And we're back. <laughs> Are you still wondering about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, previously on the EOC Trainers podcast, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get there. But again, tension, mm. maybe a bit later on. Mm. Um, so let's have a look first at the what of the passage. Uh, this week, I think, was a lot more straightforward than previous weeks. Uh, what we've got is what is the passage about? Um, Jesus' priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Um, pretty simple, pretty short. Um, we had some debate about whether or not we included Melchizedek in there. Um, Brody, why was that? Well, I think it's so important to tie uh, your, your big what, your summary, to the particularities of the passage. And so it's not too helpful to have a summary which could just fit for all of Hebrews. You want it generic. To, yeah. You want it to actually be narrowed down and saying, what is the contribution of this particular passage to the argument or to, you know, to the theology of, of the rest of Hebrews? Um, in the end, we decided it was kind of okay without it, I think. Yeah, and that's because there are particular nuances as we look at Jesus' priestly ministry mm. um, from chapter 5 all the way through to chapter 10. Mm. So chapter 5, it's his qualifications. Chapter 7, it's his priesthood with reference to the Levitical priesthood. Chapter 8, it's about his ministry as a heavenly ministry versus an earthly ministry. And then chapter 9, it's about his sacrifice. And so we didn't feel like we needed to add extra information. Mm. We just wanted to keep it succinct and, and straightforward. Mm. Um, and so um, the guys who sent the study in, Sam, Aquarian, and Ando, they actually used the words of the passage, which we just want to commend them on. Mm. You know, they talk about Jesus' permanent and better priesthood, which is completely right. Uh, but we just went for something a bit more succinct that included the comparison, which was the Levitical priesthood. Mm. Um, now, why was the passage written? Um, we wrote to exhort the Hebrews to hold fast to Jesus as their high priest on the basis of his superiority. Now, to exhort the Hebrews to hold fast to Jesus as their high priest on the basis of his superiority. Mm. We're kind of going back to chapter 4, verse 14, uh, as part of the drive for that. That's kind of this section, remember, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, where it, it's really we're given a, a purpose. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So it seems like the writer of Hebrews has a purpose, has a reason why he's writing this stuff. He's reminding them of who Jesus is and how he's better so that they would hold on to Jesus, so that they keep going with him. Yeah, and, and this might seem a little mundane then because you're probably noticing that the why of the passage has been quite similar, mm. um, or at least on average, this is what we normally write for it, hold fast the confession. Um, as much as that might seem boring, I think it's also a reflection of what the book is about. At every point, um, he's making the same point just with different evidences. This week, it's the priesthood, mm. Jesus as a priest. Mm. Next week, it'll be Jesus as a sacrifice. Mm. Um in all instances, it'll be the same thing, an encouragement to hold fast to the faith that they profess because they know that Jesus is better. Mm. Um, and so we, we, we went back and forth a bit about that, um, but I think that's where we landed. 
Um, we did want to make a couple of comments on the why of the passage uh, for your own benefit. I've noticed this in my one-to-ones. I've noticed this in the Bible studies that have come in. Uh, this is the question out of the four questions, the why of the passage that we don't get right very often. And I think there are two reasons for that. Um, the first uh, is what uh, Sam, Aquir and Ando have done, which is they, they've treated the why of the passage as just to show the what. Yeah, well, um, almost the conclusion of the what. Yeah. yeah, so in this case, you know, what is the passage about? It's about Jesus first, the Levites. Why was the passage written? To show that Jesus is better than the Levites. Mm. And on a very superficial level, I think that's true. Um, however, I don't think that that is the why. And there's a difference then um, between that and what we're trying to get at, which is really the occasion for the writing. Uh, what was it that motivated this man or woman or whatever to sit down and write this thing to this person at this time? Mm. And now you've got to be careful when you're thinking about the occasion for the writing or the, the why the author would sit down and write this passage. Because to a certain extent, we don't know. We, we, we can't ask them and they can't tell us exactly their answer. But we do get information from, from the text. Mm. Uh, and so that's why I mentioned chapter 4, where we, we get a bit of a picture of why mm-hmm. he's writing the passage. We, and which is then repeated again in chapter 10, verse 19. They're the two hinge passages, and so they kind of bookend this mm. whole section we're working through. Mm. So we had to do a, a bit more work to get there, but I think it's true to the, the context of what the thing is written mm. about. So we've gone a bit deeper than just that superficial level to show the content, the what. But there's another thing, and this is another common... Uh, mistake is that we confuse the why of the passage with the why in the passage. Mm. Um, And I see this quite a lot. Basically what happens is I ask you why was the passage written and then you will go and find something in the passage that gives a reason um, for the thing that he tells us to do or the thing that he tells us to say. So an example from today um, might be, uh, I'm just trying to think of one, I didn't prepare one, let's have a look at chapter 7 verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Um, So the what of the passage might be the Levitical priesthood was insufficient, and the why of the passage was something along the lines of, therefore it was necessary, or the necessity of Jesus to come along as another high priest. Um, But that's internal reasoning. It's a why in the passage, not a why of the passage. It's not a great example. Mm. I probably could have come up with a better one. Um, but I'm seeing that in Romans as well. So the what of the passage in chapter 6, which will be at the Bible Talks this week, so spoilers, um, is that we are freed from sin. We've died to sin. Uh, and the why of the passage, um, the why of the passage is so that we will not keep sinning. But the why in the passage is because we've died to sin. So so do you see how there's a subtle difference there? Um, We're dead to sin, um, therefore therefore we won't sin, as opposed to we're dead to sin and the why of the passage is, so therefore don't sin. I feel like I've muddled the book more. Yeah, I think think we're getting confused a little bit about the language because it's so similar, the why in the passage and the why of the passage. So I'm not helping you here, so I'm sorry about this, guys, but we're not going to edit this, so you're stuffed. But it is a helpful distinction to make. Uh, You've got to come to out of the passage. Things. So don't have, don't sit in the internal reasoning of the passage. You've got to come out of it and mm. think. Sometimes the passage will tell you explicitly, I'm writing to you for this reason. Yeah. You've um, got to remember, so the author is making an argument, particularly when you're reading a letter. The author's making an argument, and they come up with some conclusions. 
but they're not writing that argument and giving you the conclusions just so that you know the argument and the conclusions or one or the other. They're doing it because there's been an occasion which has meant that they need to write this. Mm. Um, so in Hebrews, a lot of it is uh, hold fast to Jesus. That's the reason why they want to encourage them not to fall away, not to go after other stuff, not to doubt their, their salvation in Christ. That's the big reason here. Other texts, they might have a slightly different purpose for writing. It might be to rebuke or to, you know, to correct. In this case, to exhort yeah. um, to hold on. So that's the why of the passage and some warning about that. Hopefully that was somewhat helpful. Um, the main point, so let's talk about the study rather than passage. Um, the main point we had was only Jesus' priestly ministry saves you. Um, only Jesus' priestly ministry saves you. Um, and the reason we, we wrote that is because the whole point of this passage is to show that Jesus' priesthood supersedes the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood couldn't make you perfect. But Jesus, as the perfect high priest, sworn by an oath, who doesn't die, perfect, sinless, uh, he can save you. Yeah, and it's verse 26, really. This is the kind of high priest we need. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, is now the time? I think now's the time. Okay. <laughs> that's just like Batman! <laughs> Spare me, we're at 33 minutes and we're talking about Batman. No, 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 no. So Batman, in the second Batman movie with the Joker, right? You know, his ledger and all that. At the end, Harvey Dent, sorry if you haven't seen it, spoiler, Harvey Dent, Two Face, Two Face. He he goes bad. He you know he was the white knight. He was the guy who was you know he was the paragon of virtue. But then the paragon of virtue. Well, yeah. Then he gets tainted. He you know he gets turned by the Joker in his nefarious schemes. He took the best of us. Yeah. Anyway, and what does uh, the commissioner say at the end when he's like you know why why are we letting Batman take the fall for this? Well, Batman is. The hero we need right now, not the hero we deserve. <laughs> and it's well, the other way around. I can't remember which way around. So the connection to Hebrews 7 is... This is the kind of high priest we need! Oh, spare me. But not but, the one we deserve, because we're simple and, you know, we don't deserve God's grace. But Jesus is what we need, not what we deserve. Yeah, there you go. So Levitical priesthood, like Harvey Dent, died. Batman, <laughs> feel free Jesus. not to use this in your studies. Yeah, right? but the main point is only Jesus' priestly ministry can save you. Now, I want to highlight something. Um, the guys who wrote the study wrote something similar, but they said uh, that we can come to trust Jesus because he has made the perfect sacrifice as our high priest. And yes, that is in the passage um, in verse 27. But I want to emphasize something to you that I've seen pretty well in every study we've done in Hebrews so far is that when we ask the question, why is Jesus um, able to save us? Why should we hold fast to a confession concerning Jesus? Almost everyone from chapter two from to, through all the rest of the chapters, actually even chapter one, have said because Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. His sacrifice of himself is perfect. And whilst it's popped up in a few situations, chapter two here in chapter seven, up until this point in Hebrews, that has not been his focus. And so as leaders, I just want to encourage you to remember to be specific. Chapter 7 is about Jesus' priesthood, not about his sacrifice. His sacrifice is in chapter 9. Mm. And actually both are related to the gospel. Mm. And so I've heard the illustration, the gospel is kind of like a multifaceted diamond. And actually you can turn the diamond and see it from a different angle, see some different facets, but it's still the diamond mm. and it's still all there. And so we tend to emphasize Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, which is important and we need to. But here in Hebrews, the author is emphasizing Jesus' priestly ministry 
for us. And if we let the people who who are contributing to our Bible studies just keep saying this unchecked, we're going to miss something very significant about what Hebrews is telling us, which is Jesus' priestly role, mm. um, which we see in chapter t- uh, 7, 24 and 25. Because he lives forever, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Mm. And so Jesus is still functioning as our high priest even now. In fact, he's able to do that because he lives forever, something the Levites couldn't do. Mm. And so even as we sin now, as we struggle with our sin, he is saving us to the utmost because he's interceding now. Mm. Um, Which leads us to the big question of the passage. That was going to be like a subtle thing oh, right. for so, you to say that. It's hard for me to pick up on those Yeah, tears. just the wink isn't enough. I have to like do a double wink and a nudge or something. Don't do that. That would be creepy. Uh, so what, the big question. First, we started with this question. What is it about Jesus' priesthood that gives you confidence to draw near to him? Uh, but then we realized, actually, we, we want to tighten that up a little bit. Yeah, because we realized that it was too generic and we really wanted to highlight the priestness of Jesus. Mm. And so our big question is, why do you need a priest like Jesus? Mm. And we're going to modify the application question accordingly. Yeah, but part of this question is recognizing the difference between us and the people who would receive this letter in the first place, the Hebrews. Throughout chapter 7, it's pretty clear the author is spending a lot of time showing how Jesus' priesthood is better than the Levite's priesthood. Um, we're not really in danger of thinking that the Levite. No, we, we haven't come from Judaism. We, we haven't, haven't even seen a Levitical yeah. priest, most likely. Yeah. We're, we're quite different. So our temptation, if, if the temptation of the Hebrews was to um, to kind of turn to the Levitical priest... Go to a different priest. Yeah, yeah, rather than Jesus. Our temptation is probably just to think we don't need a priest. Mm. Uh, but the reality is that we do. Mm. And not just one to offer sacrifice on our behalf, but if you remember from chapter 5, the qualifications there... Not only does he um, give us sacrifices, but he he is the one chosen from among men to act on behalf of men to God. Mm. He sympathizes with us and gives us help when we need it. Mm. Um, And so we don't want to miss that. Um, I think that pretty much rounds it up for us. We haven't spent too much time in the details of the passage today. We've kind of done a big picture overview, but I think that should be enough for you to then pick your way through the bits and pieces Mm. um, to work it out. So how about I pray, and then you guys can go and prep. Um, we hope that the week goes really well. Yeah. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much that you give us Jesus, uh, the great high priest that we need, uh, and the one indeed that we didn't deserve. Lord, we thank you that he is better than Batman, <laughs> that he is better than the Levitical priesthood, that he lives forever and so is able to intercede for us forever and ensure that we can be saved to the utmost. We thank you for him and we pray for all the groups this week that they will be able to communicate that truth and we will discover it in Hebrews 7. And we will cling to our high priest with greater ferocity as a result. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.